If you want to follow along and make sure Jesse's not making up what I'm about to say, uh, you can follow along in your Bible in 2 Peter. Um, It's at the back of the Bible. It's kind of deep. Uh, It's it's those deep cuts of the Bible. It takes a minute to find. Uh, 2 Peter uh, is where we will be. And I just want to confess something to, uh, we've got a a few people who haven't heard me say this, but for most of you, you you know, um, I have a medical condition um, that that the doctors have called ADHD. Um, It means that like just things happen in my head that are a little different than most people. I, I get it. It's easy to seem confused. It, it has some, some certain benefits that I can be on a stage right now and I'm completely comfortable as an introvert because my ADHD is kind of running the show. But when it comes time to go grocery shopping, I'm, I'm lost. It takes me hours to get like three things from the store because I will forget what I'm going there for. Um, I, I told Wednesday night, the students, I was talking about my ADHD and, and this story is true um, that it happens very often that uh, Ashley and I, my wife Ashley, and I will be getting ready to leave somewhere and we'll make a plan uh, that we will go to, for example, HEB. And so all you need to know, for those of you who don't know where I live, that means I go to the stop sign and I turn right. And we all agree to that plan and we're loading up the kids. We're gonna go. Um, What my wife doesn't know uh, is that immediately upon making that plan, my brain goes into hyperdrive. I draw a map of not just my house to HEB, but how many red lights are there, which ones I'm willing to speed through because I don't like stopping at, sorry, officer. Uh, the ones I'm willing to stop fully at a red light and take three right turns to prevent having to wait the extra 30 seconds, I map out a whole contingency plan. And in the event that they have construction between my house and there, I know the alternate route to get to where I'm going to go. I have done an amazing amount of map work. And then on my way to the truck, Ashley goes, you know what? I have an idea. Let's go to Home Depot instead. All that means for you guys who don't know where I live, go to the stop sign and turn left. That's it. That's that's the only difference I need to make. And then everything else is good. And I will look at her and I will agree with the plan. I will agree with what she said. I even understand why that's the better move for whatever reason. And I go to the stop sign and which way do I turn? Well, actually, my right is your left. So I turn right. Uh, I do continue to go the wrong way. She looks at me and it's every time and it it never ceases to surprise her. She says, uh, uh, didn't we just talk about this? Didn't we just make a plan? I'm like, yes, we did, honey. We, we made a great plan. I just forgot to redraw the map. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just what's happening in my head. The, the other way ADHD hits me pretty hard uh, over and over and just reminds me that like, I'm controlling you, you little puppet master, uh, is um, I, 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 you can tell I like to eat. You guys like to eat. Everybody, everybody in here has eaten today, hopefully. If not, you'll eat before the end of the day. Um, we eat every day as a, as a culture. I know that I need to eat lunch. Um, I'm 35 years old. I can't remember the last time I got a lunch from my house to my place of work. Like I, I just never make lunch. It's not that I don't plan to. It's not that I don't even prepare lunches. Sometimes my wife in her sweetness and kindness will prepare the lunch for me and I will get to work and I don't even realize I've forgotten it until I'm here. I'm already in the building. Uh, I've, I've done hours of whatever I'm going to do this day. And the only reason I now know that I've forgotten my lunch is what? Anybody know? The stomach's like, it's it's like, it's time to eat. What have I done? I've forgotten my lunch. Uh, Every uh, every so often, not only do I forget my lunch at home, but I actually woke up and remembered it. And so I I set my keys on the table and I get the lunch out of the freezer or wherever it is. And I put it next to my keys. And then somehow or another, I walk up to the, the thing that's supposed to remind me and I grab the keys and I leave the lunch there and I walk away. And I've now left my lunch on the table, which has the double sting of not only am I hungry the whole day, but I've actually lost a potential lunch somewhere 
somewhere else in the week. Like, wh- who does that? Um, and so the running joke is actually getting home and finding a near rotten, what was a good lunch, but has been now out defrosted and now useless to everybody. She's like, how, how do you do that? How do you leave your lunch on the table? It's right, you can see it from the door. And I don't even realize it. I don't even realize I've done this until I'm here in this building and I'm hungry. The symptoms of the hunger is what reminds me of the thing that I forgot. Not that I didn't know I needed to eat. Everybody eats. I know that I need to eat. It's the symptom of the hunger that reminds me of what I've forgotten. What we're going to read today in 2 Peter is something along those lines. He's going to talk about the symptom of a spiritual hunger that doesn't remind you of a new thing. I'm not teaching you anything you didn't already know, unless this is your first time at church, which, you know, Love to talk to you later if that's true. Uh, But if you've ever been to church, you know the things that we're going to talk about today. But the symptom of our hunger is what reminds us of what we've forgotten. Um, It would be good and wise of us collectively in the uh, annual anniversary of the day where our world goes into, literally our entire world goes into chaos, uh, on a day where Maybe circumstances being what they are, you've been really stressed out this week or last week, or maybe your pipes froze and you're just getting things back together, or maybe, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you've had six hurricanes in the last year. I don't know. I mean, we have so many things in our community. A refinery blows up. We have so many things in our community that um, cause chaos and cause, cause frustration, cause us to focus on those things because we need to. But in focusing on those things, are we perhaps forgetting Uh, another important piece. And the only thing that reminds us is the spiritual hunger. Now, if I, uh, if I get to the building here, this building, and uh, I've forgotten my lunch at home. And uh, the thing that reminds me is the hunger. Um, I'm a fool if I uh, ignore that Uh, I'm a fool if I sense the hunger but try to fill it with other things. I am really, really hungry. I don't have a nourishing meal, but I have an entire case of Skittles 50 feet that direction. I do because the youth ministry is in here. I can can actually fill my hunger with Skittles instead of the nourishing meal, Uh, but that would be foolish. Uh, My teeth would rot out and I would would get really huge, like all of a sudden. Uh, By the way, off topic for a second, but I get into the building today. Everything was great, and someone tells me how awesome it was that I I caught a hacky sack on my stomach. And I'm like, what? That's, that was an accident. We were playing hacky sack and it landed on my stomach. So now I'm going to go lose weight, uh, eat less Skittles. That's how my day started. I'd be a fool if I try to fix the symptoms with things that weren't meant to fix the symptoms. And what we may do, especially in a world where we're one year into COVID, is that we felt the spiritual symptoms and then we try to fill them with things that were never meant to satisfy us. We try to fill them with distractions. We try to fill them with, with minor things when God's promises all the while is what we are hungering for. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in Second Peter. I'm going to start in verse 1, uh, and, and we, will, we will see where we land. Uh, I'll start with asking a question, uh, like I'm teaching uh, the teenagers. Uh, who do you suppose wrote Second Peter? Shout it out. It's okay. No, you're not being mic'd. Peter. I don't know if anybody said it, but I said it. Peter wrote Second Peter. It wasn't a trick question. Uh, Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus. I love thinking about who Peter was as we read this. Uh, Peter is um, one of the two people in Scripture who walked on water. That's pretty cool. Uh, Jesus walked on water, and we kind of use that as like, well, you, you, you might be a good guy, but you, you can't walk on water, Craig. Yeah, well... 
Peter could, okay? So Peter walked on water with Jesus, which is kind of a cool story. Peter also is the guy who would, like, he would look Jesus in the eye, and in the same, like, moment, he's like, I'll do anything. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is like, are you sure? Because I'm about to go to a cross. He's like, never mind, Jesus. I made that up. Like, he just immediately, like, switches gears. Peter is the all or nothing kind of guy. He always puts his foot in his mouth. Um, if you grew up in a Catholic church or kind of have a high church background, uh, Peter traditionally is remembered as the first pope. Uh, and that's the guy who wrote this. That's, that's important for what we're going to read here in the first few verses. Simon Peter, verse 1, a servant of uh, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, and who's he writing this letter to? To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pause. Not much to do with the sermon, but I think it's an important note. He writes this letter to a group of Christians, and he says, you have equal standing with me and the rest of the apostles because of Jesus, because of the goodness of Jesus. The, the righteousness of God has caused us all Peter and the rest of the Christians to be on equal standing with God. He says, obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Who here wants uh, in your own life, in your own family, in your own workplace, an increase of peace? Oh my gosh. Can, can we just like be honest for a second. Uh, drama is really fun when you're like 16 years old and you're just like spilling the tea and everybody's talking. But when, when, you, when you are in a workplace and it's just constantly drama, constantly somebody like, let me tell you what so-and-so said. Can you just give it a break? Like, come on. Uh, what I would like in my life, and I'm sure you do too, is an increase of peace. And what Peter is writing here is like he's writing this and he's saying, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God uh, and of Jesus our Lord. That somehow this peace is associated with the knowledge. And what's great about Peter's prayer at the beginning of this letter is that he's going to explain how we collectively Christians, how we carpenters way and how you, your family can have an increase of peace have more peace in our life, less chaos, more peace. Amen. Like sign me up. Anybody else? Like less chaos, more peace. That should be a, a politician slogan. Less chaos, more peace. I'll vote for you. Also, if you do away with daylight savings time, honestly, if any of you run for president and you just do away with daylight savings time, you've got my vote. I don't care what else you believe. Verse three. Um, verse three, his divine power, Jesus's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Pause for a second. That first sentence that, that he's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is a powerful, powerful truth. What, what Peter begins, like he, he, uh, he keeps going. Like he, he talks about other things, but he starts with this, this introduction and says that God is willing to give to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. That principle is amazing. That, that God the Father is not in the habit of withholding from you, his child, good things. Whatever God has for you and your life in regards to, to life and in regards to godliness, he is freely giving to you and you have free access to. In a world where we're coming out of so much chaos and so many like, things, things are outside of our power and uh, things, loved ones are, are hurting, people are losing jobs, people are arguing, politics are, don't even get me started. Everything is in a mess 
it's easy to look around and be like, golly, I wish, I mean, I wish God had something better for me. I wish there was something more here. Does God have any, what does God even want from me? And the number, the number of times that question comes up, what does God even want from me? The truth is, and what we're about to read is, uh, we'll highlight that. The truth is, is that God is willing to grant to us all the things necessary for life and godliness. God is not a God who plays hide and go seek. Jesus says, if, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you knock, I will open the door. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not hope and maybe one day you'll find that God, like he's immediately available to us. And he's willing to give to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through, where does this come from? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That somehow this is tied to knowledge. Verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That, that he's granted to us these precious and very great promises. When Peter is, is beginning his letter, he, he thinks about the promises that he's going to, to teach on. He's thinking about the promises that were made to him. He's probably thinking a little bit about the number of times that he forgot the promises. But he says that these promises of God are precious. The preciousness has to do with, with value, that they're precious and they're great. They're really big promises that God has made to his children. Um, and we have a habit of forgetting them, especially in moments where we disconnect from each other. Moments like the last year that we had, moments where social distancing is required for the safety of each other, and yet we forget that the goodness of God is represented in the life that I hear from you. When you, when you come to me and say, hey, let me tell you something great that God has done, I get to partake in the greatness and the preciousness of God's promises as it's manifested in your life. And yet, I feel like so much of the last years, where, where, where have we been? Where have you been? Where have I been? Uh, I, I miss you. This is, this is why it's so important that we make this a priority, that we choose to prioritize celebrating the preciousness of these promises. And he says, so that through them, that we may become partakers of the divine nature, that through these promises, the people of God, those of you who call Jesus your Lord, that through these promises, as we continue to grow in them, that we become what Peter says, we're here, partakers of the divine nature, that we become more like Jesus. How, how cool is that? that we could become more like Jesus. I, uh, as I was teaching the first service, the idea popped in my head uh, that what, what would it be like if, if you know, 100 years from now when, when you die, you enter heaven for the first time and you walk up to someone that you haven't seen in a while because they died a long time before you and they say something to you along the lines of, you, you're like the closest and first thing of Jesus I've ever seen. Before I met you, before we had interaction, the whole God thing, the whole Jesus thing didn't make any sense. But when I saw you and I saw how you treated your family, saw how you treated your kids, I saw how you treated me in the workplace, I saw how you treated our boss, I saw you, 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 there was something about you that was so different. It made me wonder more about this Jesus. And what Peter says when he talks about this divine nature is that we become partakers of this divine nature. The word uh, Christian in uh, 
it used to be a bad word. It started as a bad word. The Romans used it as a bad word. It was kind of not, not really a racial slur, more like a religious slur. Um, before the word Christian came on the scene, uh, people who followed Jesus called themselves followers of the way. That's a really long, could you imagine like, welcome to the first followers of the way church. And it's like, we, we run out of sign space. And so they shortened it down to Christian. Uh, and so the way it worked in the Roman mind is um, we crucified Jesus and you guys want to act like Jesus, you're little Jesuses, you're little Christs, Christian, little Christ is what it means. And so they would kind of like taunt them, like, oh, come here, you little Christ. And then, like, and then would really, you know, throw a rock at them or whatever they did. I don't know how they did it. Um, they, they would be mean. And the Christians, the followers of the way, heard that word, little Christ. And instead of taking it as a, uh, uh, I don't know, offense, they're like, you know what, you're right. I hope I am like a little Jesus. I hope I am a mini Jesus. Man, how awesome would it be if one person finds hope in their God and their creator because they saw me act like Jesus? Yes and amen, call me a Christian. And, you know, taking a, a slur and turning it on its head. And so Peter says that by uh, leaning on these great and precious promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That in, in this divine nature, it will look different than the corruption we see around us. Do we see a lot of corruption around us? Oh yeah, yeah, man, this, this world is jacked up. Good night. I, was, uh, I had uh, uh, one of our Groves uh, police officers uh, stop by and we were talking. He was saying they saw some people walk through the property. It was nothing serious. But as we were talking, he was telling me like, oh, I arrested so-and-so over here and here's what was going on. I, I won't even say it right now on stage because I'm being recorded. It was so vile and broken. I was like, man, this world stinks. This, this world is awful. This is gross. It's just a, such a corrupted world. And Peter's like, hey, these promises are the escape from that. These promises are the temporary example of what heaven would look like aside from a corrupted world where that brokenness and our, our daughters are hurt and people we know are injured and murdered. Like it's just a wicked and messed up world. And yet the divine nature is an escape, he says, from the corruption. Now in, uh, in verse five, uh, I want to I pause uh, because Ashley, my wife, in her wisdom said that the illustration I was going to use it was, was terrible. Um, and, and you know, public speaking is hard, and so I just tell her it's hard. Uh, I said something along the lines of what I was going to say, and she said, that's great, and it makes a lot of sense, but there's not a woman in the room who's going to understand what you just said. And I said, listen here, honey, the women in that room are smart, and they know things. I didn't say that. I said, I said uh, well, I don't have anything else. I can only think like a man. That's all I've got. And so I want to I think of like a car, if I can. Uh, and maybe, maybe someone can give me a better illustration I would use next time. But in, in your car, you have a dashboard. And this dashboard has gauges and lights and warnings and bells and whistles and all the things. And if everything's going right and you've taken good, really good care of your car, you're going to, to drive and, and you have no lights on your dashboard. But every now and then, a light will come on. It's either going to be yellow or red. A yellow light light is uh, kind of a, hey, buddy, uh, not to alarm you. Uh, this is your car speaking. Um, but when you get a chance, maybe in the next week or so, maybe get this little piece checked out right here. This yellow light. Yellow light is you got to do something about it, um, but it's not an emergency, okay? If you have a red light come up, doesn't matter what the symbol is. If it's a red light, it means 
pull over right now, don't drive one more foot, you might blow the engine of this vehicle, get off the road. That's like you've lost all oil, something terrible's happening. You just get off the road and stay put. Okay, so yellow light means red. Only a fool ignores the gauges. You got a red light, a yellow light, you got like a little disco party going on, you got like you're, you're hitting the signals, and it's like, oh yeah, you got the beat, and it's like you're going great. If you ignore the car long enough, it's going to erupt on you. It just doesn't end well. You have to pay attention to the symptoms. And what, what Peter's going to do right here is that he's going to go through like a list of things to consider. He's got a checklist. If you're going to work on yourself spiritually, here's the checklist. The next few verses are the checklist. And then he's going to give a, t- a couple of verses like, here are the signals, the lights that you need to pay attention to in your soul. So you're driving down the road and you see a light on your soul. Pay attention to what it's trying to communicate. So he starts this in verse 5. He says, for this very reason, the reason of, of growing in uh, knowledge of the promises and the precious promises, growing in those for the reason of becoming partakers of the divine nature, for the reason of escaping the corruption. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. You have a faith in Jesus that he is your savior? Okay, great. Supplement that, like you take vitamins, supplement that with virtue. Supplement that, another word for virtue is uh, uh, um, like excellent morals, right? So choosing the high ground instead of the low ground. Choosing to, to live above reproach. Choosing to be honest when the lie would have been easier. Choose virtue. So supplement your faith with virtue. Okay, so check, I've, I've done virtue. What do I do next? He says, um, uh, supplement your virtue with knowledge. And that's what we're we're doing right now. We're opening God's word. We're soaking in some knowledge. You want to learn. You want to you increase in your knowledge of these promises, increase in your knowledge of how good Jesus is. Uh, you can learn that by you know, coming to church, uh, logging on to online church, looking up better speakers and teachers than me in the world of the internet. You can get podcasts. You can learn through podcasts. You can learn by just sitting down with a friend with coffee and say, how was your week? What have you seen God do this week? How can I pray for you? And as you hear what God does in their life, you are increasing in knowledge of the goodness of God's promises and how they're being fulfilled there. But increase in knowledge. He says, choose to increase in knowledge. Okay, check. I've done that. Verse six, and supplement knowledge with self-control. Now, this is where he's getting all kind of messy. Don't tell me what to do, Peter. He's saying, as you grow in the knowledge of the things you do, now have the self-control to do them. Oh man, it'd be so much easier to dive into that gossip fest and get all like chatty because it feels good. Um, But self-control says, I'm going to withhold from that. Hey, you want to come over here and uh, do some drugs? I don't don't know. That's a terrible illustration. You're not teenagers. Does that happen? Does anybody ever like, hey guys, let's all go do drugs together. And you go and like run. I don't think that peer pressure works that way. But in the eighties, that's how they did the commercials. Dare to be drug free. You have self-control, not to do the thing that looks fun or immediate or satisfying immediately, but self-control to choose the longer road, self-control to choose what is right. Uh, and self-control you supplement, he says, with steadfastness. You just stand your ground. Someone's like, no, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's talk this way. Let's be this way. Let's, let's think the world is burning down and you just steadfastly stop and no, no, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to ride this out. I'm going, I'm, going to, I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing with my marriage. I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing in my workplace. And I'm going, to, I'm going to steadfastly just stand here and lean on God's promises. Yeah, but God's promises don't make sense. Maybe, I, maybe they're saying that. Maybe you're thinking, I don't understand this, but I'm going to choose God's promises over your flawed perception of what I should do. I'm going to be steadfast right now. 
I was thinking in the first service, um, as a church, I was thinking about, uh, I can teach this message to, to me individual and to you individual or to you as a family. But if I think of teaching this to Carpenter's Way, the whole block of Carpenter's Way, um, it would be easy, and you can even hear this in some of our talking, it would be easy to become frustrated with the process as the elders are looking for a new pastor. Even last week, Davis was up here and he said, I, it feels slow but we're working through it. We're moving forward. We're making progress. And, and I'm, I'm like, man, can we like, let's, let's speed up. Let's do some things. But let me be fair for a second to, to all the elders. Uh, when I take a step back and I look at this, um, we're only two months into this, okay? Uh, this hunt for a pastor. Church has spent years and years and we're really doing great. We're in a really healthy place. I really love the process. But it would be easy for a member of Carpenter's Way to lose steadfastness and say, you know what? It's been, it's been six weeks now. At seven weeks, I'm out. I'm done. Well, you know, let's have a little bit more steadfastness as a church. Let's lean on like God knows what he's doing and he is sovereign over this situation. Same is true of your marriage. Same is true of your workplace, that we, that we choose steadfastness. And as, as you practice steadfastness, now you need to supplement that with something else. He says, and supplement steadfastness with godliness. And this is, that, this is where you start to look and sound more like Jesus to those around you. You start to, uh, you start to have a different way about you. You're, you're more confident, even in the world that's in chaos. I mean, God forbid that, uh, you know, in a few months, there's like a different worldwide thing that messes everything up again, and we all have to go back into a lockdown. Did we learn any lessons from the last time that we can bring into this new time uh, where we're a little bit more steadfast, and we choose, you know what? God got me through the last one, right? I have a history of following Jesus. And when I trusted Jesus in, the, in my marriage, when I trusted Jesus in my job situation, when I trusted Jesus in making this decision over this decision, he saw me through. And because of that, I'm going to start to share that with other people and start to show godliness in these situations. And people start to see miniature versions of Jesus in you. And then as you grow in godliness, he says, uh, su uh, supplement godliness with brotherly affection. And then he goes on after brotherly affection with love. A few weeks ago, I talked about the differences between the words of love in scripture. He uses one of them for brotherly affections, Philadelphia. We would just say like brotherly love. And he uses agape for the last one. And what he says is as we're going through this checklist and we're like improving ourselves spiritually, you get from godliness and you start to look around. Then you start going to brotherly affection, brotherly love, sisterly love. And you look at someone, you're like, you know what? I'm gonna treat you like family. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you. What, what can I do? And, and if, if you're... If you're doing this and you continue to grow beyond that point, the pinnacle that Peter says that you can hit, and you see this elsewhere in scripture, the pinnacle is that you stop caring about yourself and you start having unconditional love. You care so deeply for others that you would give anything. Jesus says, greater love than no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friend. That's unconditional love. And as we grow in this, we get to that. But if I had to be honest with you, here's what I sense in myself. The more uh, we did the, the social isolation junk, the less I cared about other people. I am a narcissistic, selfish guy in my deepest un, unsaved portions of myself. I look in the mirror and that's the only person I would care about. And it, it's a, it is a plague and it's a curse. It's a poison that would grow in me if not for God's love. And we have to be on, on purpose to battle against that. And so now he gets to the check engine lights in verse eight. 
He says, for if these qualities, the ones that he just mentioned, are yours and are increasing, okay? So how do I know, Peter, objectively, how do I know if I'm like getting a good report card on this? If these qualities are in me and are increasing, what, do, what, what can I see in my life? He says, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another way of saying that is, uh, if these qualities are increasing in you, you are effective and you are fruitful and you are useful. One of my greatest frustrations in life is whenever I sense that I'm useless in a moment. I walk into a room, I see everybody working on something, and I'm like, hey, what can I do to help? And they're like, well, we're working on some plumbing. I'm out. I'm done. Like, nope, I am not a plumber. I am terrible at plumbing. Ashley does all of the plumbing in my house. It is a true story. I, I do not enjoy going and buying plumbing parts. I can't figure it out. I don't understand it. I can do carpentry. I can do a little electrical, not plumbing. I feel useless in plumbing. Spiritually speaking, Peter would say, he's like, hey, how useful are you right now? If you, if you just ask yourself, like, am I useful to the, the move of the church that I'm calling home? Am I useful to the, to the cause of Christ in my community? Am I useful to Jesus in my workplace? Am I useful to Jesus in my family? Uh, if you are, then that's evidence, as the gauges would suggest, that you are increasing in those characteristics that he mentioned earlier. If you're not, if you see usefulness going down, you look around and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm not getting a lot done here. I'm actually really unfruitful. Then Peter would say, how about you go up to that checklist and start working on, I don't know, maybe the self-control one or maybe growing in knowledge, leaning on God's promises more. But he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, uh, they will make you useful and fruitful. Verse 9, though, he says the opposite. He says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The risk of, the risk of like forgetting these promises and the risk of spiritually just drying up is that we, we get nearsighted. We lose sight of, of those around us. We become self-focused become blind of God's promises. We become blind of the needs of others around us. And who here doesn't like find themselves like you're in an emergency, you've kind of lived in a high stress environment, things have been chaotic for a while. Maybe you're like on, on you know, week 12 of a shutdown and you're just so emotionally drained. Nobody will fault that person for being a little self-focused in that moment and maybe even losing sight of the needs of those around them because the, the chaos and the stress is so great. Sure, that happens. But we have to be mindful to say, this is a symptom that I need to address. And the medicine, Peter would say, is to go back up to that checklist and start working on the knowledge or working on trusting the promises. Only, only a fool would have all of the symptoms of COVID and be like, you know, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm not doing anything. I'll do whatever I want. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to, I'm going to cough on everybody I can. That person's a monster, right? That person is, is just like, why? I would, I would take that guy out of his knees. Like, quit coughing on me. First of all, just coughing on me is really gross, whether you have COVID or not. And yet spiritually, a lot of times we get to such a dark place in ourselves that we're just kind of coughing our problems and our symptoms on other people rather than addressing them in ourselves. Peter invites us to lean on God's promises and address the symptoms in ourselves rather than becoming nearsighted so much so that we've forgotten that we were saved from the muck and the mire that we found ourselves in. God, God was good when he saved Jesse. I was really a jerk. I don't know if you know that. That's, that's all I've got. I'm not, not going to tell you how I was a jerk. Verse 10, therefore, he says, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. 
Like work towards this, like confirm this. Check yourself every now and then. Maybe, maybe schedule like once a week, once a month to look in the mirror and you know, see, your, see your symptoms. But uh, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he kind of throws back to, hey, think about, think about what heaven is going to be like. Heaven is going to be full of people who are steadfast, full of people who are godly, full of people who are selfless instead of selfish, people who are focusing on uh, unconditional love. And he's like, you have right now access to all of the promises of God to see pieces of this fulfilled here and now on this side of heaven. How awesome would that be if we could cut out in Mid-County a little sliver of hopefulness, right? Where the rest of the world would be like, you know what? That is, that's something I want to be a part of. That looks like heaven right there. Uh, it smells bad because of the refineries, but it looks good. People are treating each other well. We have access to that because we are followers of Jesus and he doesn't withhold from his children good things that pertain to life and godliness. Keep going. Verse 12, before I run out of time. Therefore, he says this. Now, Paul, uh, before I say this, Paul, Paul is, uh, how, how, do we, how do we say this? He, he's put some miles on the old body at this point. Uh, he's older. Uh, when he was following Jesus, he was probably teenager, maybe 20-ish at the tops, at the most. Um, and now he's lived a life. Uh, he's, he's getting close to dying. In fact, he's about to say this, that Jesus told him he's going to die soon, which has to be the weirdest knowledge ever. Like, could you imagine like a voice from heaven? You have 16 days. I'm like, oh, well, got stuff to do. <laughs> Let's get after it. Well, Peter seemed really certain that he was going to be dying soon. And, and he makes this statement. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth. He's saying, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Honestly, Jesse hasn't told you anything you didn't already know. Should you be growing in godliness? Everybody's like, yeah, probably. I really need to work on something. Everybody knows that. Uh, but Peter says, you know this, and I'm going to keep telling you this. He says, uh, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm going to keep stirring you up. He's stirring the pot. But instead of stirring the pot to chaos and gossip, he's stirring the pot to godliness. Since I know, verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's actually worried that at some point when he dies, people might forget to lean on the promises of God. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep reminding you of the goodness of God, that you can trust him, that he's proven himself to me. And if you had to be honest and you followed Jesus for any period of time, he's proven himself to you over and over again. Let's keep leaning on those promises. And when you see things in yourself that don't check out, instead of hiding in yourself and becoming introverted, like go back to him and say, I'm gonna grow in knowledge or I'm gonna grow in self-control. What Peter was wanting to do is make sure that he left a legacy to those who were following him, which invites us to ask the question, uh, what legacy are we leaving to those who are looking at us, those who are watching us, whether they be our children, whether they be our coworkers, whether they just be people that aren't chronologically younger than you, but people who are, are in their faith younger than you, they, they have not followed Jesus as long as you. Are you leaving a legacy that points them to hope or are you leaving a legacy that points them to complacency? Peter was wanting to point them to hope. 
I want to uh, close with three kind of observations and just challenge you to, to think through these as, um, as we uh, process Second Peter. Also, next week, uh, you can go ahead and finish reading Second Peter because next week, Chris Dorse will be teaching, and he's teaching out of Second Peter. So I really, I'm excited to see how the Lord ties these two together. The first observation that I think is good is uh, God doesn't hide good things uh, of life and godliness from his children. God's not hiding from you. Um, I, don't, I don't know how hard the last year has hit you or your family or your home. I don't know, I don't know what life has looked like ultimately. And if, if life got so chaotic that you were worried that God has given up on you, that's not what the Bible says, and I trust the Bible over what I feel. Um, God gives good things to his children, and he does not withhold anything as it pertains to life and godliness from you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to continue growing in him and in this knowledge but he's not hiding from you. I, as a dad, there's nothing that makes me more happy than to give my son or sons a good thing. You want a good thing, I have the power to give it, I give it to you, you might be enjoying it, I enjoy it all the more because that's what dadding looks like. God is that, God is not hiding from you. And he gives you all the, all the, all the things that uh, you need for a good life, all the things that you need for godliness, you have access to right now, not after you jump through a next hoop, right now. The second thing is this invitation that he has in verses eight and nine to check your symptoms. Like, do you sense in yourself growing, useful, growing usefulness or decreasing usefulness? Do you sense in yourself growing blindness or decreasing blindness? Do you, do you sense in yourself, you know what, I'm starting to notice the needs of other people more, or do you sense in yourself, you know what, I'm really kind of becoming more selfish and more of a jerk, and I see this decreasing. Do you, do you sense in yourself like a, a place to belong and to serve and to need, or do you find yourself like, I, I, I don't even care if I do. I don't care if I serve at all. Well, these are all symptoms. Whatever your answer to those questions are, these are symptoms that Peter is saying, hey, check it out. Like, let's look at it. If, if you're wanting to grow in godliness, then he would say, go back to verse, what we call verses five, six, and seven, and, and start where you feel like you left off and start growing in it. You know what? I grew in knowledge and I know a lot about God's promises, but I find in myself, for example, I'm no longer growing in steadfastness. steadfastness. I just, I fall, you know, I just, I, 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 keep, I keep messing up. Okay, then let's, let's work on that. Pray for that. God, God will grant that prayer of his child. So check your symptoms. And the third thing is this, is how's your legacy? Like, what, what are you leaving behind that is going to point others to these promises, these precious and great promises that are super valuable to Peter and super valuable to everybody who's ever leaned on them? Are you leaving a legacy that when they look at you, they taste and see that the Lord is good and want to know more of it? Are you leaving a legacy like a little Jesus? Um, and if not, I would, I would encourage you to. You're leaving a legacy. Uh, there's, there's not a question of whether or not you're leaving a legacy. It's a matter of what kind of legacy are you leaving and are you okay with that? Uh, as I close, I want to read one more verse. That's the next verse. And what I love about this is um, people who teach about following Jesus, um, sometimes uh, they don't use the scripture a lot. And sometimes they have really great ideas and they're fluffy and, and they, they look good and they sound really smart. And so you maybe just want to follow them because they sound really, really smart and you have no idea what they said. Like if you ask them later, what did that guy say? You have no idea. Well, if you ask what I said, that would hurt my feelings because I just read Second Peter to you. So just open your Bible if, you, if they ask you about me. Um, what, what, what I love about this next verse I'm going to read is that when Peter decides to like highlight the goodness of God and highlight the power that's there, he doesn't use fluffy words. 
He just leans on the power of Jesus. Read this verse with me, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, this has nothing to do with how smart you think I am. It has everything to do with how good and powerful Jesus is. Wherever you find yourself on the spectrum of following Jesus, ever how far down the rabbit hole you feel like, you might even get to the point where you're like, there's no hope for me. Well, it's not based on how smart you are and it's not based on the knowing the right things. It's based on how powerful Jesus is. And I've seen Jesus pull people out of everything. He is not hiding from you and he's willing to give you good things as it pertains to the life and godliness. He will give it to you freely. And if you find yourself symptoms that you don't like, trust his promises instead of what you're feeling in the moment and continue to grow in that. For those of you who are at home and you're, you're like, I'm feeling disconnected from a group of people, I'm encouraging uh, you guys uh, as you feel safe to start to prioritize. Maybe make a plan like, okay, when am I going to begin going back to church? And if it's not now, I completely understand. But, but if you don't make the plan, you just, you lose touch. You fall away. Those of us who are in here, we're looking for a community and we want to be a part of something that we're useful in and that we're serving. I'm encouraging you to find your place to serve and let's get after it because the gospel needs us pushing forward in this community. Because I don't know if you know it, there's a lot of hurt people just right across the street, like right here on top of us. Uh, this world is broken and corrupted. Let's, let's get after it and let's do some work to, to change it. Yes? I want to pray uh, and then we will watch the queue and you guys will be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that we're here, um, that we have the privilege to, to sing songs to you, your, your reckless love that has sought us out, to open your word and to be reminded of your promises that are precious and valuable. They lead us to godliness. They lead us to look more like Jesus. I pray, Father, that wherever we, we find ourselves, that we would find our answer in you and that we would trust your way over our, our circumstances that we wouldn't be nearsighted, we wouldn't be blind to the needs of others, but we would see them, that we would pursue them, that we would find our usefulness in moving your cause forward because it's the only cause worth anything. Lord, we, we need help. This world is corrupted and it's broken. We pray that you come quickly and that you would redeem all of it. But, but while, while we're here, Father, may you help us carve out a sliver of, of heaven where hopeless can find their place. Um, broken people can, can find uh, you and that the name of Jesus would be made big in the families of Mid-County as a result of, of our ability to push it forward. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.